they're just doing their thing. Okay. I'm here, Justin. I'm ready when you are. It looks like you need another minute. Okay. No problem. Yeah, uh, give me one more minute. Absol hey, Absolutely um, no problem. Hey, hey uh, Rich, Rich Rubino? Yes. Yeah, so what we're trying to tell you is where you, you – uh, there are directions. If you go to Google and Google how to get audio set up for your Yeti Blue, uh, it'll teach you how to get it set up for next week. Okay, okay. Because the audio quality is much better. Um, yep. Alan, I guess the question is, do you, do you have a microphone and camera in your computer or did they just weren't tied in? No, I don't have, uh, on oh. my computer. Um, although I, I may be able to access one that does, um, when I, when I was using my phone, um, I couldn't figure out how to, un, how to unmute myself. I could hear you guys and right. see it, but I couldn't figure out where the mute was. Uh, yeah, and I was having the opposite problem. I couldn't figure out how to um, get the where the I couldn't find where the audio output was. Right. Okay. So, so the so the question is, um, yeah, if if you guys want to like, if you want to use your phone, Alan, and you want to use that, if you tap on the on the picture, you'll see uh, a phone handle receiver, a microphone and uh another button and i think that usually will unmute you if you tap the screen on your smartphone yeah i will check it out i tried to do that when we when i realized that you guys couldn't hear me um but it, it didn't happen but i may not have been as systematic as i could have been okay yeah no, no, no. yeah for next week if you if we can the only reason why is because the audio quality is a thousand times well next week we'll all be in studio except for rich hopefully uh but when we do remotes like this uh the audio quality the hissing on the phone line is is, is noticeable and it's 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 just a cleaner sound it's a minor issue yeah. but just no but i we want this clean as we can get and no oh, yeah. question about that yeah so anyway, okay. Okay. Um, I am ready. I know Dan's not in. We're going to want to get started. I want to start off with the. Uh, I was going to start off with the Dems, but we'll leave that for the second half of this one. Okay. I want to talk about the. We're going to go to the intelligence uh, community and the appointment of Grinnell as okay. the as the acting DNI. I, I would. I would. I would suggest the opposite. I mean, there's going to be a debate tonight. We have the mm -hmm. we have the the Democratic caucuses in Nevada. We got all of this churning and turmoil about Bernie Sanders and what the what the, the the Democrats pulling out their hair. Yeah, I but I would just that, Dan having the, Dan here, having Dan the big Democrat would help balance that. I think. <laughs> is he coming back? He's so coming, he's back. coming what, back. We yeah. When he comes back, I can go right to it. But I, so that's okay. why I'm kind of holding off. Justin, so, can okay. I just? Uh, okay. This is Charlie here. Justin, can I just ask? It's probably going to be easier because of the long distance aspect of it to just skip the half break. Is that okay with you? Like we did on the yeah, first hour. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. that, that's fine. All right, you yeah, want to get that's started? Not a problem at all. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So are we all in agreement, Alan? You see, you see yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, so fine. we're just going to do it that way. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and, and start this one off. Ready to go? Okay, here we go. From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Well, uh, we're not in Studio A today. It's actually a remote broadcast. Actually, the only one in Studio A is our engineer working our board, the proprietor of Podcast Village. He is the one that we know as... Uh, Charlie Bernie. I am here. Hello. I am here. Yeah, I am you, here. You yes. There is one yeah. person in the studio. <laughs> that would be Maddie, the engineer, I hope. Well, Maddie's here too. So there's two people. Oh, yes. that's good. Yeah. Hi, Maddie. How are you? <laughs> she says hello. <laughs> anyway, uh, joining us as they do for the best podcast you've never downloaded. Joining us from uh, a segment of Northwestern Northern Virginia. He is the former undersecretary of commerce for international trade. He's the one we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And joining us uh, by phone, he is the author of such great books as American Politics on the Rocks. He's the one we know as Rich Rubino. Hello, Rich. Hello, Justin. And uh, joining us shortly, uh, because he is in uh, paternal duty, he is the longtime Democratic political operative and attorney in D.C. and the great state of Maryland, Dan Lipner. He'll be joining us shortly. And we'll talk democratic politics then. But I want to start off with something that's kind of gotten a lot of attention recently. In case you haven't heard, the intelligence community is kind of in turmoil right now, to, for lack of a better word. The, the president has been slowly picking away at the fabric of the intelligence community, arguably by having new people come in, people that were part of the established intelligence community have now been pushed out. The most recent and most high visibility one is the one we see with the acting director of national intelligence, and that is Richard Grinnell. Richard Grinnell is a uh, former political operative Republican. Uh, he is the First, I believe, and check my math on this, Alan. He is the first uh, openly gay director of national intelligence that we've had. The first ambassador that is uh, to Germany that's been uh, openly gay, and he's been a longtime staunch Trump Republican. Uh, Grinnell is. Uh, I don't. I don't think you're right on the last point. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't sure on that one. Uh, that was something that was put in talking points, but uh, he's definitely the first openly gay DNI or head of CIA. Um, yeah, there, he, there haven't been too many of the uh, <laughs> DNI. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. That too is true. Uh, he goes back to George W. Bush. He's not, yeah. the first, he, he's not the first gay ambassador either. So. No, no, no. To, um, to, to Germany. To Germany was, is, yeah. is the way yeah. we put it. But uh, yeah. that may be that may be incorrect. Um, but anyway. The, no, I the, think that's the, correct. Yeah. That is correct. Okay. There was one to Luxembourg sure, in the right. Clinton administration. Hormel. Okay. But anyway, Grinnell has drawn yeah. Grinnell has drawn a lot of attention as far as one. This is a man that has zero background in the intelligence community. He's been a political operative uh, most of his adult life. Uh, 
there is a lot of question as far as the timing on this because of the fact that they have pushed out several key players in uh, in the intelligence community, including the one that Grinnell is a, is replacing. Uh, that has drawn a lot. And, and why this action happened, why was Grinnell put in there, is also drawing a lot of questions. Let's get to the heart of this real quick. Is Alan Moore, I don't think a lot of people have a problem with Grinnell being part of the administration or being a senior part of the administration. It's just that the expectation that putting in a political crony with zero intelligence experience, the people who know that community are saying you really do need somebody who understands that even a politician, even a senator or a House member from the said intelligence committees have more experience than Grinnell does. Is that fair? Well, so the the two couple things. One, this is a temporary appointment, and the president has said that even as late as today or yesterday, right. when he said he's looking at four or five candidates for the permanent role. Uh, names that the, the press, the person who asked the question, uh, some of them are people you would know. Um, that's going to happen soon. I like him. I trust him. And the, and the president also complimented the outgoing guy. Uh, McGuire, who around whom there was a, a fair amount of speculation that he was, quote, forced out. Now, typically, right. when this president forces somebody out, he likes to, to trumpet that fact and, and make it clear that he made this call, he made this decision, but instead he complimented him. Now, it, 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 at the same time, uh, there's been mostly silence on the part of senators, except for Susan Collins today, who said, I won't support this guy. If, if his name comes up to be the permanent, he doesn't have the experience that the job requires. So I expect that this issue, at least with regard to Grinnell, will go away, assuming the president brings forward a name that A, can get confirmed, or B, is somewhere else already in government where he would be a more credible acting uh, DNI. Yeah, but Alan, um, and you you mentioned you mentioned Joe McGuire, uh, who was the previous uh, acting director of national intelligence. Previous to that, yep. he was the director of the National Counterterrorism Center here in the National Capital Region. Uh, there is several news outlets, including CBS and the New York Times, which are reporting that McGuire was forced out at the at the behest of the president because he was angry that McGuire gave House intelligence the House Intelligence Committee uh, committee a briefing on election meddling by the Russians specifically the briefing to Bernie Sanders and his campaign the fact that they were briefed on Russia is helping the Sanders campaign, thinking it would help the Trump campaign, which, by the way, is speculation on the intelligence community's parts. Anything like that would be classified. We don't know. But that is the reporting going on. Is is, is this serving at the pleasure of the president being pushed too far in this instance? 
Well, look, I, I don't know what actually happened. As I said, it, it was unusual that the president, who usually uh, will say at a minimum, he and I didn't see eye to eye on these things, and it was time for him to go. Um, but he, he, he actually was complimentary of him uh, in the last 24 hours. That, that's not the normal. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't pushed out and it wasn't an impulsive act by this president. He's certainly capable of that, as he has shown again and again and again and again. Right. Um, he, he likes Grinnell, um, and, and Grinnell, who had been pretty critical of him um, back, back four or five years ago, uh, has, is, is, all, is all aboard all time um, with, with the president. Um, it, 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 if this thing lingers on very long, it, you're going to get a lot of grousing um, from inside and outside uh, the intelligence community. Um, so I'm but, guessing that in this particular case, yeah, but oh, 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 let me just jump in. Says, let me just jump in on something, Alan. Though yeah. I mean, you know, it's one thing. Usually, an acting director or an acting secretary will come in and not make major changes in that directorate, that secretariat level, that cabinet level agency. In this case, Grinnell comes in and brings in as his deputy, uh, Kashyap Patel, who is widely seen as the, the main perpetrator of the deep state plots uh, to overthrow Trump and a conspiracy theorist that has worked with everybody on the conspiracy theory side, uh, including folks at InfoWars. This, that seems like an odd pick to make your deputy of, at your acting deputy of national intelligence, a guy who's coming in and he's been perpetrating deep state, who's been taking uh, shots at the intelligence community as being part of the deep state and then starts coming in and demanding, according to CBS News, <clears throat> briefings on the Russian issue, the election issue, and was brought in by Grinnell. His job is to, quote unquote, from CBS, clean house. That seems a little bit odd. This seems like almost a hand grenade into Langley. You know, these guys... <laughs> It, it's it's intriguing when they talk about about cleaning house. It's not it's not a simple matter to replace. It, it's it's pretty simple to replace political appointees, uh, including people who are serving on an acting basis. You can you can remove them from their acting basis and send them right. back where they came from um, uh, if if they're careerists. But if you're going to try to clean house from so-called deep state career people, um, it's an interesting notion. It's something that people can talk and bitch and scream and yell about, but it's really hard to get rid of career people. Um, you can move them around some. Um, now, this president, who knows? He acts impulsively, and maybe he's told Grinnell one thing and now appears to be saying something something else. That I don't know, and that would, but it wouldn't surprise me if he says, hey, you're my guy. Get in there. Shake things up. Uh, kick some butt. And then – and then yesterday says uh, in India at a press conference, I'm looking at four or five people, people, names you're, you, you've heard of, and you should be hearing more from me in the next couple of weeks. That's very different. My hunch is that's no, that may well also be different than what he said to Grinnell when he said, go in there, 
um, and clean and, and, and be bold, take action. Um, and, and, uh, and then the president will say, well, Hey, I never promised anybody anything. Right. Um, I, I think that, that, that in this particular case, uh, uh, my, my money's on the uh, intelligence community, not uh, the president and Grinnell. No, I hope so. Dan Littmer, back from uh, paternity duty. Uh, Dan, when we when we look at the optics of the briefings that were brought to the Hill, the uh, the, the the way that this entire set of actions transpired with uh the with Grinnell coming in as acting DNI is, is this a matter of the is this a big politicalization of the intelligence community or is this a smack in the face to Congress saying yeah the heck with your civilian oversight well so it's a, it's a shame that uh, that Admiral Ken isn't on the show today because the history of the DNI um, has some some importance here. So the history of the DNI was created uh, after, the after, of, after the failures of 9-11 right. because the intelligence community essentially had all of the parts. They just couldn't put it together because everything was siloed. So the DNI was supposed to be a basically a supreme intelligence leader even beyond the – the uh, national security advisor who could basically be the honest broker uh, between all the information from all the intelligence agencies. And what was the president doing this um, seemingly for, for political moves? Hello, Isaac. <laughs> I, Isaac agrees that this is troubling. Um, is, <laughs> is, downright, is downright troubling and somewhat unlis what the purpose of the DNI is. And by including the currently acting DNI also removes congr congressional approval for the position. Because of the importance of this position, it's kind of a scary thing. That said, the president has consistently undercut the entirety of the intelligence community, including his own appointees for his statements they've made under oath before Congress consistently throughout his presidency. Um, now, admittedly, it wasn't helped. Yes, Isaac, I agree. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't helped uh, when Bernie Sanders also chimed in, saying the Washington Post conveniently reported the Russians were helping his campaign, uh, which, which all all the suggestions were. It was an accurate assessment of the intelligence community. But Bernie Sanders is now suggesting there's some there's some some media issue at play trying to say that they hurt his campaign. The correct answer should have been is, yes, we've heard that, and we don't want the Russians involved with the election at all, not to get defensive about the, the support that he's gotten, apparently, for, for the election. We, exactly. So I, Isaac agrees wholeheartedly. All right. Well, <laughs> Rich Rubino, you know, uh, historically, we've seen – the intelligence community kind of take care of their own. This is not the case here that these are, uh, these are outsiders coming in the house and are playing with tools that they don't understand historically, how dangerous does that become for our national security and 
for the intelligence community itself. Yeah, there aren't a lot of uh, archetypes like this. I mean, obviously, um, you know, the closest I can think of, by the way, in terms of uh, I remember the recess, a couple of recess appointments. The one I remember specifically was John Bolton. John Bolton, George W. Bush didn't think he'd get him through the Senate, so there was a recess appointment. So to become the, I guess you call it the acting UN ambassador, he tried to get him through in a recess appointment in that respect. But you know, you're right. Normally, the intelligence community gets somebody that comes kind of from within. I think they kind of separate themselves from the typical kind of political um, maelstrom. But it's interesting because one thing Donald Trump, he's always been very critical of the intelligence community specifically. Um, I remember during the 2016 election, he always said, essentially, you know, you screwed up, you guys screwed up Iraq, to which a lot of people did not really have an answer to that. Um, so he's always been very skeptical, and I think he always wanted somebody to kind of from out from from uh, somebody who's more of a Trumpian, someone from kind of right. outside the process, someone who's not kind of integrated in kind of the the international inside baseball of um, of the intelligence community. And as a result, I think morale is very low in the intelligence community. Yeah, that, that I can tell you that that's that's fact in the people I've yeah. talked to inside that community. Alan, more last word to you on the subject before we get to the real hardcore politics. Uh, is are we in fact going to the original point? Are we in fact seeing the politicalization of the intelligence community, and how dangerous is that? Well, I think there's some effort, but I you know it's, it, they're they're too big, too deep, too long-standing. They can move some people around at the top. Um, what, what, what's what's sad is is the the demonization of the community um, and what that does to morale and and uh, effectiveness and whether you're going to be able to retain the, the, some of your best people whether you're going to be able to attract really good people um, it, it it's not going to be possible to politicize it it's not like a White House staff where you can where you can fill up all the spots. Um, most of the most of the senior jobs in these agencies are are held by uh, career people, SES folks, um, uh, former military, and and uh, you can try to you can try to turn them political, but it 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 it, it, it you can't do it, and it's right. only temporary if you succeed. You can you can do great harm, right. but you can't turn them into a political arm. Right, that makes sense. Okay. We're going to take a, a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Dems 2020 campaign. Uh, this is the best political podcast you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. One minute. See you. I'm so distracted. My man is acting like a heart that's good for nothing. I found him out, had a showdown When I think of him, how much I love him I got a desperate notion That's the way I feel today My heart is aching Because he's making a plaything of my devotion That's the way I feel today Without any reason Or a word to say That man turned his keys in He packed and went away What good is living I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean That's the way I feel today
Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we are back here, split screen edition. I'm here in Florida. Dan Lipner is somewhere up in Maryland. And we've got Alan Moore somewhere in Virginia, somewhere up in Massachusetts, Rich Rubino. The only one holding down the fourth there in Studio A is Charlie Bernie, our our good benefactor and the I'm owner here. of Podcast Village. I'm here. You're Charlie not, thinks. but I'm here. Yeah. I know. I know. And Maddie, of course. We can't forget Maddie, the engineer. Hey, uh, let's talk Democratic politics. In case you don't know, there's a Democratic primary going on. And as we record, there are debates going on. We saw uh, what... Uh, NBC is claiming to be the highest viewed Democratic debate ever in Las Vegas, Nevada last week. And then we also saw the continuation of the Bernie burn train continuing on through uh, Nevada after a solid win in New Hampshire and a questionable shallow victory in Iowa. Dan Lipner, let's go to you first. Um, you've got pretty much Bernie on a roll. Is Bernie now the presumptive front runner or is everybody freaking out over preseason ball? No, no, this isn't preseason. This is, this is regular season games count. Um, so th- there, there is no practice going on here. Uh, and as far as freaking out, yeah, Bernie's in the lead. However, I will say one thing across the board after the glaring mistake that we all made, barring very, very narrow few, uh, watching Donald Trump roll through the Republican primary caucus and to eventually get uh, elected president of the United States, which most political uh, professionals said was impossible, uh, the glaring lack of, of ability, uh as far as Bernie Sanders' run is sort of striking, but hey, this is Washington and humility is something that is in short supply here. Um, yeah. But w- what I will say is I started looking at the both the delegate count and the delegate rules as far as how, they're, uh, how they are actually awarded um, going forward in various different states. Um, and I'm far from an expert this, but as it stands, Bernie Sanders has 45 delegates of 100 and uh, out of exactly 100 pledged. Uh, number two is Pete Buttigieg with 25. Number three is Joe Biden with 15, Elizabeth Warren with eight, and Klobuchar with seven. Uh, everyone else has zero. Now, what is important to note when I rattle that off is Bernie Sanders has 40% of the delegates. Uh, what's also important to note is delegates going forward or even in the past, uh, seem to be awarded based on the percentages of the votes you get directly, um, which creates some interesting math. I think Bernie has a high watermark of 35, 40%. And if nobody drops out of the race, that means he goes into the convention with a plurality of delegates. Um, Mind you, we're still ignoring the superdelegates, but the plurality of delegates at the convention, which is interesting to say the least. Um, And it's not clear. That's if the the current trends hold. 
that's if the current trends hold. If the current trends hold, to form. but there, there's right. also no sign of his numbers going up. Uh, Nevada was a bit of a surprise by how well he did, but even then, that that how well he did was still forty percent. Alan so Moore, it's going to be Alan, interesting. Alan Moore, the the surprise in talking to everybody out in Nevada was the fact that uh, Latinos, Latinas voted a lot greater numbers for Bernie than was previously expected. Uh, are you surprised by that? Or is is there literally momentum coming in from New Hampshire and Iowa, which doesn't necessarily give you a representative vote sample of a place like Nevada? Well, I, I, would, I, I, I don't see a lot of New Hampshire momentum traveling across to Nevada. Nevada's caucus, A, it was a caucus, not a primary. Two, the voting started uh, a, a week or so early. So something close to half the votes uh, were, already, were, were already counted. This, this spoke to the question of who did how well in the, in the debate last week. Um, uh, where Bernie just kind of treaded water, he wasn't the subject of attack. This was beat up Bloomberg uh, week in, the, right. uh, in the, the primaries. Bernie's, Bernie's turn will be tonight. Uh, tonight, uh, I think that that the the other candidates are thinking, "Oh my God!" Bernie's by the way, tonight, tonight you mean we record this on a Tuesday, yep. so this would be the yes. South Carolina uh, debate South handling Carolina. in Charleston. Yes, right. Thank you, thank you, uh, indeed. Um, and and uh, and and I think that there was maybe a little bit of regret by the part of, of at least a few of the Dems last week that they left Bernie alone because they were so anxious to. To beat up on the new kid, uh, Bloomberg, uh, who didn't hold up all that well, but that's a different issue. Um, uh, he he better do better tonight. But but Bernie kind of skated through and uh, obviously got a fair number of votes in the in the early voting. Uh, his Latino vote was surprisingly strong, but kind of similar to what he got uh, four years ago against uh, just one candidate, Hillary Clinton. Um, but nonetheless, it wasn't just a staggering outlier. Um, but but the fact that he got over 40 percent surprised most of the uh, most of the more experienced observers out there. Um, but but this tonight's debate, I think you're going to see Bernie hit uh, from uh, from all sides, except possibly from from uh, Elizabeth Warren, who is laid off. My theory about Warren is she's now hoping that Bernie has another heart attack and that she can fill in behind and generate some of the. We don't wish it on anybody, by the way. Yeah, we don't wish it on I'm anybody. I'm just saying. Honestly. I'm just. I'm. I'm trying to. No, I'm not wishing it any on anything. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think that as as Warren tries to figure out what's her path, um, right. and why is she leaving Bernie alone? I think she's hoping to inherit. Bernie's people, well, if and Dan, when something yep, yep. interferes with with the, the Bernie momentum. Yeah, Dan, the, Alan brings up a good point. It almost seems like you know we we've been seeing the Dems take pot shots at each other, particularly with the Nevada debate. They literally started sniping each other. It was uh, it was Pete Buttigieg who kind of showed some restraint but the one who showed real real restraint was elizabeth warren actually defending people on stage with her uh is she trying to show the, 
no, 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 no. Well, you can't she, say she, 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 accused, she accused Amy Klobuchar's healthcare plan of consisting of a post-it note, and she right. absolutely cleaned uh, Bloomberg's clock. Now, cleaning Bloomberg's clock was surprising mostly because he spent a zillion dollars getting to where he is, as well as hiring a lot of professionals to help prepare him. And if are you that's saying, are you he, saying are you saying Bloomberg's done? Are you saying that. Bloomberg's out? Are, Bloomberg are you saying is he's out? Do a whole lot better than than he did last time. That said, he's not out because he can fund his way all the way to the, to the convention. However, it, because Bloomberg is a different creature in all of this, he said he's going to spend a billion dollars to defeat Donald Trump, whether or not he's the nominee. So the question is, once it becomes a mathematical impossibility of him being the nominee, but even that's going to be an interesting issue because as I started off with earlier, if we're looking at a brokered convention, Lord only knows what we're going to be looking at. Right. The question is, Bloomberg, yeah. who's been a Democrat for about 20 minutes, whether or not he can get delegates at a brokered convention who weren't already pledged for him. I mean, oh, yeah. there, there's that, a lot of interesting that's things a, that that's a check. That's a check. I mean, again, this, this is not surprising. They've been talking about this scenario of him walking in with, you know, a, $2 billion to him is a bar tab. This is nothing to what many are now saying the, could be the richest guy in America. But Rich Rubino. You can't buy voters at the convention. That's illegal. You, the, so you don't I mean, think, you don't think, the, you don't think the super delegates? You don't think the super delegates can't be bought? Come on. Come on. Well, just to, yeah. Bloomberg, in some cases, spent money on their opponents during his time as mayor and as many, many years as a Republican. Democrats are many things, but <laughs> he was a Democrat far longer than he was a Republican. Bandwagon. All right. Yeah. As Alan pointed out, as Alan pointed out, he was a Democrat much longer than he was a Republican. Although he ran the city of New York for eight years as a Republican and only four years as an independent. He's never been a registered Democrat in, in high political office. Uh, Rich Rubino, you know, what Dan is talking about brings up a really interesting point. And we've talked about this before, but it, 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 it now seems that from people I've talked to in democratic politics, they are almost saying it's a 50, 50 shot that there's going to be a broker convention in Milwaukee how dangerous is that for the Dems? And does can they come out of a broker convention showing unity? Yeah, it's Tom Barrett, the mayor of Milwaukee. I think it's the worst nightmare that that happens and that potentially it actually goes more than one night. Um, just so you know how this works, basically, in order to win the nomination outright on the first ballot, you have to garner 1,991 pledged delegates. If no candidate garners that, then it goes to a second ballot, and a second ballot, each, each delegate is essentially a free agent, but there's also these 771 superdelegates. Those are members of the party, high command, governors, senators, presidents, vice presidents, who essentially have one vote, and each candidate is essentially already, try, each is already trying to court those people right now. It's very dangerous. It has the taste of certainly disunity. It reminds me of we've come to the closest we came for the Democratic Party. We came once in 1984 with right. Walter Mondale and Gary Hart, well, and also in 1972 
when George McGovern actually there was this it became a huge issue because Hubert Humphrey won California, and he he was arguing that he should get that he that, in, that he should get some of the del I mean sorry George McGovern won California, and Hubert Humphrey was arguing that it should be proportional representation, and McGovern rep was arguing that since he won by five percentage points right. he should garner every single vote. Essentially, the Democratic committee agreed with McGovern, and then he had one of the worst conventions ever. McGovern landed up giving the best speech of his life at three o'clock in the morning, and he landed up losing you know forty nine states that year. But usually if there's a brokered convention, it shows disunity in the party, and it's very hard for that unity to come back. But that being said, the last time we actually had one in both parties was 1952. And in the case of the Republican Party, after Eisenhower defeated Robert Taft and Harold Stassen, both of them came in like bangbusters and unifying with, with Dwight Eisenhower. Eisenhower ended up winning. On the Democratic right. side, Adelaide Stevenson garnered the right. nomination. Estes Kefover landed up supporting him, who, was the, who had won most of the primaries. So eventually, essentially, the Democratic Party will at least try to show some facade, that's facade being the operative word there, of unity. But obviously, the people are going to look at this and they're going to say, right. especially if it comes down to Sanders versus Bloomberg, whoever, whichever one garners the nomination, specifically if it's Bloomberg, it's going to be an austere task for the Bloomberg people to somehow say, or to somehow get the standards people, but under the auspices of, well, he may not be your favorite, your favorite candidate, but it's all they're going to say it's all about the Supreme Court, and we don't want Trump in there for a second term. And a lot of millennials are going to turn are going to turn off, and they're going to say, you know what, I'm going with the Green Party nominee. Right, Dan Lipner, you were having a conniption during some of that, uh, some of that. Yes, uh, so, so I was I was looking at the rules, at least, and again, I'm not an expert on. This. I think Rich might not be correct, so. Is partially correct as far as the superdelegates not having a role to play if somebody reaches a majority of delegates on the first ballot. However, right. as my reading of the rules today uh, suggested, if nobody has that majority on the first ballot, the first ballot suddenly becomes open to superdelegates, right. in which case math becomes a different creature. Um, right. And in which case, and Bernie's I don't want to find a lot of friends real quick. Yeah, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds until we actually get to Milwaukee. But I, I do want to bring up the idea of looking at the. No, but this is other before Milwaukee. This matters whether or not people stay in the race throughout. And if people, if if Bernie only manages to accumulate delegates to get them to thirty to forty percent, that means there are an additional sixty percent of pledged delegates that are somebody other than Bernie. I ask you and this there question: could be a stop Bernie movement. There could be a stop Bernie movement, like there was in '72. Jimmy Carter led a movement against George McGovern, saying that Scoop Jackson, who had lost the nomination in the primaries, said, "We want Scoop Jackson to become the nominee," and he actually gave a speech for it. So there is precedent for that. Right, but you know, we we talked about this before, and 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 we're really getting now into the heart of it. Is you know, what is plurality going into the DNC? Alan Moore, I mean, you know, we keep hearing the 1991 number thrown around. Is 40% of 1991 delegates enough of a plurality to guarantee Bernie Sanders the nomination? Is Are the superdelegates the real key factor going into Milwaukee and in the convention? Well, 40% is not enough. Uh, first, first of all, remember, you got to have a 1991. Right. So what you're saying is, is 1900 enough? Is 1800, 1700, right. 1600 enough? Well, Not 40% of 1900, 40% of, of 4,000. So yeah. is 1600 enough? Let's say, right. 
And, and the, the answer is no. And they asked the question at the last debate. The last question was, should the plurality, if, if we go to the convention and one person has a plurality, but not a majority, should that be the candidate? And of everybody on stage, one person said yes, and the others all said no. And the one who said yes was Bernie Sanders, who expects at this point, expects that he'll have a plurality. It might be a plurality of 25% or 30%. We don't know the number. Again, Bernie Sanders is the one who changed the rules back in 2016 to give him some sort of shot at a brokered convention in Philadelphia. Does anybody, I mean, are Democrats not aware or are they allowing this to be forgiven? Because in the Republican Party, I would have thought that that would have been considered a major sin. Machiavellian. <laughs> Dan Lipner, am I wrong in this? Well, he, he was he was trying to keep he was trying to keep the the superdelegates at bay um, and succeeded. And uh, so. So, the, you know, the question is, when you have this na- national primary and caucus process, should should that be enough if somebody comes up with a majority? And they decided yes. And that hasn't changed. What, ha- right. what, 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 what has changed is that the superdelegates don't get the vote until, as Dan points out, uh, it's clear that nobody has a majority on the first ballot. Um, and and then you then you start adding in the superdelegates and let them and let them vote. Now Bernie believes, and why wouldn't he? That okay, but if 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 you still don't have, he would still like to keep the 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 superdelegates at bay and say if you got a plurality on the first ballot, that should be enough. That should be the candidate. And the others all say no. Then you follow the rules. You follow the procedure and see where it leads. And he, let the convention a- decide. Right. Dan Lipner, but regarding Bernie, you know, we've seen Klobuchar, we've seen obviously Joe Biden, who's maintained a very centrist aspect to his campaign. Uh, we've also seen a very centristic uh, aura around Pete Buttigieg. Um, and of course, Mike Bloomberg is going to play the center on this as well. Does is there is there a is there a possibility that we could see Bernie just go full head on towards the base and then be able is would he be able to pivot more towards center left once he got the nomination? Is that even a possibility for him? I mean, we gotta be careful here because Bernie's base is not necessarily the Democratic Party base. There's sort of a third-party actor within Democratic politics. Yes, the Democrats have moved a little uh, left, but Bernie's folks aren't really playing well with others, um, with the exception of maybe Elizabeth Warren. So if Bernie hits a brokered convention, and if Warren has enough to get him over the edge for a with a plurality plus Warren delegates, I mean, she does have some, and presumably she's going to continue to have some voters. So a Sanders Warren ticket could very well be the bargain that gets him the nomination. Right. However, if that combination still doesn't get him to the fifty percent, the question is what happens then? And based on what I saw on the ground in Iowa. This is a different creature. I saw, I physically saw folks from every campaign 
playing nice with each other, except for the Sanders folks. They were a different creature. And at a convention where it's supposed to be a sign of credit unity, or at least unity coming out of the convention, what do the Sanders folks do once you have multiple ballots? And if their guy doesn't end up getting the nomination because of whatever popping goes on on the ground at the convention, that's a real problem. And as Rich pointed out, if Bernie or Buster go Green Party, suddenly we have a second term of Donald Trump, which is a problem. Right. Alan Moore, let's look at South Carolina for right now. We've heard Joe Biden talk about South Carolina being his firewall. How big of a firewall is this today for Joe Biden? It's thinning out. It used to be pretty thick, and it's not nearly as thick as it used to be or not nearly as tall as it used to be. Bernie's been closing. Now, supposedly, um, uh, Jim Clyburn, uh, the House leader and and highly respected uh, uh, South Carolina member of Congress, legislator, is is supposedly going to endorse uh, Biden uh, uh, tomorrow. Um, and, and I don't know how much, uh, uh, weight that carries with the African-American community. It presumably has some impact. Uh, Tom Steyer has made inroads because he has spent tens of millions of dollars on television down there, um, right. and has, has, has made some inroads, none of which is, is, none of which is helpful to Biden. Um, right. uh, be, because, uh, you know, Bernie creeps up, but a little bit but if but if they can chip away at biden uh because the the tom Steyers of the world um uh or or for that matter you know uh bloomberg well bloomberg i don't think is playing is uh, is, is is even playing there but um uh or i'm not, i can't remember i don't think so i think no, he just not. is waiting till no, super, tuesday. super tuesday yeah yeah, he's so, banking on. Yeah, that's right. He's not on the ballot, so so he's, he's not trying for write-ins. This is all about Steyer, who's now got like fourteen or fifteen percent simply by being on the airwaves. And one has to assume that some good number of those votes are Biden votes that have migrated to Steyer. Um, maybe the Sanders picks up a few, the others pick up a few, um, but you know. Biden went from close to 50 percent or more uh, a few months ago to now into the 25 percent range. So this this could be this could be a disaster for Biden. I mean, he's he needs to squeak out a victory. I think uh, the, 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 the bigger the victory, the better for him, because expectations were so high. It was like, yeah, the first three states don't matter that much. He's got that 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 wall that <laughs> that's that firewall that as i say uh has thinned out and is not nearly as strong as as tall as it used to be dan lipner is is this truly do or die for the biden campaign in south carolina or even if he looks at a strong second does he fight another day Well, that's the question. I mean, my own bit of advice to the Biden campaign uh, that I've actually given is he has a plan to be in it to the convention because it's beginning to look like it could be a brokered convention. And when in doubt, 
the question is, who do you turn to? And the guy who's been a steady Democrat uh, throughout his career versus Bloomberg or Sanders um, could be a consensus second choice. Um, but if he if he wants to be the nominee outright, yeah, uh, South Carolina is going to be a, a big deal, and he's got to have a strong showing. And I'd go as far as say he better finish first. Um, otherwise, it's it's playing toward a brokered convention. But but even even finishing first has some of the shine come off of Vice President Biden with you know, unfortunately, the lackluster performances that we saw in Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, uh, the money's not coming in, according to some reports, the way that it was pre-Iowa. Can they sustain that kind of financial load going up against two big financial juggernauts in Steyer and Bloomberg? Well, it's not clear what Steyer's money is buying him anymore. Uh, so uh, Alan's right. Yeah, he, he has made some headway in South Carolina, but not as much as you would expect considering the money he spent. Uh, and Bloomberg uh, is also, while he's on the big ticket states like California, he's showing to be uh, making some headway. Uh, Sanders is still well ahead in California. So there is something more at play. I mean, I've worked directly, well, not a presidential candidate, a candidate who pretty much self-funded on a race. There's, all, there's a finite amount of what money can buy. You still got to convince voters to vote for you. And unless Bloomberg can actually put a little more, more shine on his campaign, it's not clear what he does. And the same thing for Steyer. Uh, I should be told, even watching Steyer's campaign, for the life of me, I can't tell you what he stands for other than he stands against Trump. Right. Alan Moore, you know, going off of going off of Dan's pivot as far as, you know, who what is the money buying? Apparently money did not buy Bloomberg much success in the Nevada debate. Is is the South Carolina debate critical for Bloomberg or, you know, as we've seen, he's got some great commercials running and we're dealing with a short, a short attention span theater of electorate. Uh, will they forget New Hampshire? Will they forget Nevada? And will they forget a mediocre showing in South Carolina and just put their money into Bloomberg on Super Tuesday? So I, I think if Bloomberg had had life to had it to do over again, he would have skipped Nevada, uh, and and would have skipped South Carolina, and would have focused some of his time and attention on some practice debates. Um, uh, obviously, it didn't happen that way. It, it, Nevada was a disaster. Now he gets another chance tonight, um, in which case he won't be the primary target. I don't think, although he certainly won't is he won't be he he'll be a target. Um, uh, I think Bernie's coming in for some fire, um, in, including his friendly comments about Cuba and Russia and stuff from the past. Um, right. Uh, that that they're just going to hammer him on, I think. Um, and 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 but but Bloomberg needs to hopefully improve on his on his answers on a couple of issues. 
Um, I think he's got at least, you know, a couple of those. Uh, he's made some changes that are, are going to be helpful if and when they come up. But but Bloomberg, it, you know, Super Tuesday is right around the corner. And yeah, we're talking, we're talking a week. Down. That money is spent. Those the the, the ads are bought. Uh, they all know who Bloomberg is. Um, the other candidates uh, have not been been able to spend the kind of dough in those places. They saw an ad last night on CBS News for Klobuchar here in Virginia, and I thought, good God, how many of those is she able to put up? This is a really expensive market because it's not just Virginia, but it's D.C. and Maryland, um, and and uh, you know, I there's. It's just too expensive for for right. these uh, for these candidates. Um, but but Bloomberg, you know, that money's not an issue. So I'm going to guess that he's going to still uh, come up with. I have no idea, but let's say 15 plus percent in in a lot of Super Tuesday states, and that's going to be pretty. You know, that's going to be pretty decent, and, right. and it might be higher than that just because he's on the air. Sanders has got dough because he's got this huge base. Steyer has been more selective. He hasn't spent nearly nearly what what uh, Bloomberg has in his right. many states. Bloom, Bloom, Bloomberg has now spent hundreds of millions of dollars, um, right. and 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 that money helps. It helps yeah, Steyer it, in it South does. Carolina. It helped Bloomberg. What what hasn't what didn't help Bloomberg was his his poor debate. showing in the, in, the in the debate. Right. So. So Rich Rubino going into Rich Rubino going into Super Tuesday on March third, uh, have we seen? I mean, we're literally talking about a, a Super Tuesday, which could literally create the Democratic uh, platform going forward. Have we seen a, a Super Tuesday with this much weight behind it and this much detriment to well, some I candidates? Think- I think probably the closest was probably 1988. Remember that year you had Al Gore, four-year-old senator from Tennessee, and he decided he was going to skip Iowa. He said it was essentially an archaic process that reduces crazy results, his exact words. Then he skipped New Hampshire, and he basically said, I'm a southern senator. I'm going to win on Super Tuesday. That was the basis of his campaign. Of course, we didn't. what he didn't expect at the beginning was that Jesse Jackson would also run and that Jesse Jackson would siphon off a lot of the African-American vote in the southern states. So as a result, Al Gore's campaign after that was essentially was very, was embarrassed, and he went to New York and ended up losing in New York, eventually ended up dropping out. That's probably the last example. Um, I think that in 1992, uh, Bill Clinton, this is probably where essentially he won because he was somebody who had lost Iowa because Tom Harkin, senator from Iowa, was on the ballot. Um, then right. he lost New Hampshire because of Paul Songus. Eventually, he won Georgia. Then he went to Super Tuesday. That's where he showed his electoral bona fides. And eventually, Paul Songus suspended his campaign, and Bill Clinton ended up beating Jerry Brown. That's probably the closest. But you know what about the whole thing about self-funding? Um, it's not self-funding. Remember, John Connolly, by far, back in 1980, the Republican Treasury Secretary, uh, former Treasury Secretary, former governor of Texas, spent about $10 million, which is quite a lot for that time. He ended up getting one delegate. I think her name was Ada Mills from Arkansas. So it doesn't necessarily – Steve Forbes is another example. Even in Maryland, David Trone, the current congressman in Maryland who succeeded John Delaney, he ran in 2016. He spent about $13 million of his own money against Chris Van Hollen and a lossy Democratic primary. So money does not buy you electoral success if your message does not resonate with the – if you're not in the mainstream of your constituency. That's a, and, and this is a guy who owns uh, 
a big wine distributor or a big yeah, wine absolutely. shop nationwide. Good grief. He came back I would years think later and won, but, but, who's now, but who's now in Congress? Who's now in Congress, by the way. But right. this is right. the first time he so. ran in 2016 a different district than when John Delaney right. ran for president. Right. He ran to right. succeed him and, and won that one. But the first time he spent about $13 million and got Vermont to outspend everybody else and still lost. Don't right. no, no forget about Jimmy Forbes. I bet you he's got an expensive wine cellar. Like a wine you know, I think, he's got a yes, wine yes. cave. I think Pete Buttigieg is going to fundraise there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Dan, <laughs> you know, Dan, Dan. Dan had an interesting point about about Biden, and, and and which I think is relevant both to Biden and to Warren. What's um, that? And that is that that you know he needs to, if if he wants to be the candidate Biden who wins uh, outright, he's got to do well in South Carolina as well as Super Tuesday. But right. he, if he if he doesn't win, but but is is shows credibly and and ends up the going all the way to the convention with let's say he's the 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 the, the second largest uh, delegate holder, um, right. and is hoping that a brokered convention would turn to him because of how divisive either Sanders or Bloomberg would be. For everybody else, the Sanders people would say, "Hell no, ever for Bloomberg," and and some of Bloomberg's people would say, "Could never vote for Sanders." But right. those folks might rally around either a Biden or potentially a Warren, as long as she doesn't do horrible damage to to Sanders. I'm surprised that you're not mentioning. Amy Klobuchar. Amy Klobuchar is probably the most centrist of the true Democratic uh, outliers that we've talked about. When when and I, I put you know Buttigieg, uh, Buttigieg Warren, um, even Tulsi Gabbard, who somehow miraculously is still a declared candidate for president on the Democratic ticket. Uh, I'm surprised that we don't look more seriously as at Klobuchar, not so much as the front runner for the ticket, top of the ticket, but almost a solid, solid backbone for the bottom of the ticket for the Veep choice. Dan Lipner, am I? Am well, we I haven't talked. No, no, because we haven't talked about no, no. Veep choice. No, I mean, in, I've said in the past. convention, everything is up for grabs. She's a strong so candidate you could to, be, to be on a ticket. Uh, yeah, Dan Lipner, go ahead. Dan Lipner, go ahead. No, no. So I think I cut Alan off on the same point. The a a, a Biden Klobuchar ticket could be the consensus uh, move, or at least consensus majority move for the other sixty percent of folks who aren't out there for Sanders. But the question is how to get there and how to get people on board. So presumably the Bloomberg folks might still be Democrats um, in a more traditional sense, uh, looking right. for a moderate candidate, as are the Pete Buttigieg folks. Uh, even the Warren folks are still uh, more likely Democrats, even though I still think there's a surprisingly large number of folks that it's not being talked about that are vacillating between Warren and Klobuchar simply because they think it's a woman's time. Right. So right. if if you have 
the Warren folks go to Klobuchar again, as I physically saw in Iowa, people right. moved once Warren was not viable physically to back Klobuchar. Um, you suddenly have some different math. The difference right. is some of the Warren folks have Bernie sympathies. So if if it's a Bernie Warren thing, it could actually get you to that 50%. Right. All right. We're going to let that and be the role, last. What role will, will Bob Blagojevich have in this, in this election? Will he be speaking at the Democratic convention or the Republican? No, right. we're not talking. We're not talking about. We're not talking about Blagojevich on the. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to give him. He's air a Democrat. Time. Yeah, he's, he's a, a Democrat. Democrat now. He says. Yeah, yeah. On behalf of, on behalf of Dan Lipner, Rich Rubino, Alan Moore, special thanks obviously to Charlie Bernie, the proprietor of uh, oh, yeah. of, uh, of Podcast Village, and our. Hey. our Wait, what? What? What did, what did you say? Enough. We gotta go. We gotta go. Sorry. We gotta go. We gotta go. Charlie, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> want to thank. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Want to thank everybody for their help and uh, great show. Hey, by the way, you can download this as a podcast on your favorite podcast service. Also, go to our website, backroompolitics.org. Uh, have a great week, America. See you.